This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey, this is Tony Bruski from the podcast Real Ghost Stories Online and the Grave Talks. Cannot wait for August 24th to be with Hillbilly Horror Stories for their birthday live show at Columbia Steakhouse in Lexington, Kentucky. Tickets are only $15. You can get them through hillbillyhorrorstories.com. It's going to be a fun night as we hang out, do an episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories Live, talk ghosts, talk the undead. Maybe we'll even witness the ghost of a cow. It's a steakhouse after all. You hear those mysterious moves? You got to wonder... Are they back with blue cheese and mushrooms and onions on top? Delicious ghosts. Anyway, we'll see you there. Saturday night, August 24th, Columbia Steakhouse, Lexington, Kentucky. Real Ghost Stories Online, The Grave Talks, and Hillbilly Horror Stories for their birthday show. Get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode 157 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. And we're going to start off tonight's show with just a quick moment of silence. It's been a horrible week, so many different ways. You had the Gilroy shooting out in California, and then just yesterday you had two shootings. You had the Texas um, shooting in El Paso, and then you had the Dayton shooting, which was uh, late last night. And uh, it just couldn't really get much worse for the United States as far as what's going on here. So, but we wanted to take a second just to remember all those lost in the past week. All right. Thank you guys for bearing with us for that. On top of that, Tracy lost a friend and I personally have had three people reach out to me that's really been struggling and just trying to talk with them and trying to help them get through some things. So it's been a very emotionally taxing week. Yep, to say it has. To say the least. But we carry on, and that's part of what we signed up for when we started making this show a little more about you guys and your feelings and uh, where you're at in life. So don't take that by any means as a complaint because it's not but it doesn't mean that it's not hard it's just as hard uh sometimes hearing how much somebody's struggling as going through your own struggles and i don't mean your struggles i mean our struggles um Mm -hmm. i'd rather struggle myself any day of the week than to hear about somebody else having struggles yeah because at least i can control my own so anyways with that being said if you're struggling Feel free to reach out to somebody. It can be us. It can be the group. I know I keep pushing the group, but, man, I'm telling you, this group is the greatest thing that we will ever accomplish from this podcast, strictly because I can't tell you how many messages we get a week from somebody who is really struggling, and they say the group has pulled them through. And I just want everybody to be able to experience that. Yeah. You know, we one of the people who reached out to me wasn't, They don't even listen to the show. She just knows that, you know, I was here to talk to and she didn't have anybody. And I added her to the group. And I know she's extremely thankful already because she's already just been able to look into the group without even posting and be able to see the support that's there. Yeah, it's great. So I know we preach a lot of times that there's always somebody who wants to um, listen to you and talk to you if you got something going on. Look, here's the reality. It's not always going to be family members. Some people just have shit as family. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just a reality. And we can be your family. 
we have no problem being your family if you need it. So feel free to reach out for us or call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. Or like this young lady, she said she had called and there were some kind of problems with her phone. So she reached out to me mm-hmm. and she said she immediately felt better just writing it out to someone. Yeah. And but she also didn't know there was a text line. And I told her about that. And she was very thankful. Text line is 741-741. We want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the United States, all over the world. Thank you guys and gals for everything you do. And big shout out to the uh, the pets out there. Uh, well, not pets. I guess that's not at the service. Mm-hmm. Animals that, you know, canine units and yeah. stuff like that that help the police out. So we're we're going to try to remember them every week. You know, it's odd. We were in the Dayton area last night just a couple of hours before the shooting and I went up to a group of four or five police officers and just thanked them for their yeah. service and talked to them for a few minutes, you know, not even realizing yeah, what they were about to have. What, to- what could happen. And, and um, you know, that just goes to show, look, these guys and girls, there's a lot of people out there that give the police crap. It just is. Here's the deal, though. They're at a concert and they're sitting there and they don't know what could happen at any point in time. Yeah. Just like, you know, where where this happened in Dayton last night, it's my understanding that place is well protected. It's in a good part of town. There's, you know, police officers and stuff present all the time. And they never know when they're going to end up in a situation like that. So I, I thank God that we've got people that are willing to go out, mm-hmm. especially for the kind of pay that them uh, men and women make. Yeah. And put their lives on the line every day. Absolutely. So. All right. Sorry we had to get off on such a, a sad start, but I just felt like it needed to be done with the, as horrible a week as it's been. This story tonight is going to be kind of different than some of the stories because we're doing vampires in New England. And I, I know most people are going to hear that and they're going to think like the Dracula type vampires mm-hmm. or God forbid the uh, Robert Pattinson type vampires from Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they were good looking. But you yeah. know, but but here's the thing: you, you you think of those, and you think Dracula. You think um, what was that? The dude's name Nasser Fartu or Oh Lord, I don't even Nasser know. Fart. I don't. I, can't, <laughs> I don't think it's Nasser or, or the guy from Salem's Lot. They all have that same thing in common. Mm-hmm. They might not all look the same. Some are scarier than others. But the whole thing is, they're going to come bite you on the neck and suck your blood. Yeah, man. But I used to think that was so sexy. Well, it's not. And you're I sick. know. I'm you're sure it probably individual. hurt. I used to have dreams about it, <laughs> like getting bit on the neck and stuff. I, mean, I, I can make it happen. I got a, I got one of those plastic sets that I got from Halloween last year. <laughs> we can make it happen. It oh. don't fit exactly right, though. None of them oh. do. Well, that's true. So, anyways, we're going to tell you the story about the history of vampires, and it's not going to be the kind that you initially think of when vampire comes to mind. Now, most of these vampire images can be attributed to Bram Stoker in his novel Dracula that came out in 1897. But let's be clear. There were legends and talks of vampire in Europe way before Bram Stoker's Dracula was released. The vampires before Bram Stoker, though, they didn't walk around after they died. They would make their attacks basically from beyond the grave. Hmm. So it's like they found a way to get at you without actually leaving. Oh, that's scary. Where they were buried at. They would feed upon you from the inside. Ooh. Right. So people that had illnesses that would cause you to waste away, such as tuberculosis, especially if it ran in your family. Mm -hmm. Because you know what's funny when you look back at some of these things and and some of the stories we we talk about tonight are going to do this, you'll have a family where it just seems like everybody got it and other families that were basically untouched or only one person would get it. But And, I mean, obviously when you're talking about TB, that's a contagious disease. But it's just funny how some families were affected way more than others. But if you had a family that really was affected – they would think that maybe the family was either cursed or maybe they were being killed by something supernatural mm-hmm. as a vampire would. Oh. Most think that the concept started in Eastern Europe in the 1700s and then kind of spanned to Western Europe and through uh, rural New England from there. 
So here's a few examples of this. Peter Plagajewicz. Now, Peter was in Serbia, and he died in 1725. Now, there was an illness going around in his village that he lived in, and Peter was the first to die of this illness. So all of the other deaths that happened afterwards were blamed on Peter because he was the first to die from it. So surely he must be the one responsible, <laughs> which he may have been if it was yeah. a contagious disease, but not in the way they're talking about. It. So they, they dug up his grave and they did like a makeshift autopsy. And this is just a few weeks after he died. Keep in mind. He was determined to be a vampire because of the following. Now, this is a statement from the doctor that was on site doing this autopsy. I did not detect. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I did not detect. Well, I'm a, I got to differentiate between him and me. That's true. I did not detect the slightest odor that is otherwise characteristic of the dead. And the body was completely fresh. Another witness wrote, the hair and the beard had grown on him. The old skin, which was somewhat whitish, had peeled away, and a new fresh one had emerged under it. How does that happen after just a few weeks, did you say? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, not without astonishment, I saw some fresh blood in his mouth. So, this is what they saw. Now, what you're going to find out later, and I'm saving it for one of the later stories we're going to get into, but you're going to find out this is somewhat natural, just because of what happens to your body during different forms of decomposition. Oh. So, but you know, you hear all the time people talking about the hair growing and yeah. the nails growing. That doesn't really happen. I mean, to a certain extent it does because your body still does have some nutrition yeah. in it. Uh, so it can still feed off that. But also it's kind of an optical illusion because when you die and your body starts wasting away, your nails are going to stay the same size, but your fingers, for example, are going to start becoming smaller. Oh, that's true. Which would give the appearance, and your head would become a little smaller, which would give the appearance that the hair grew. When in reality, that wasn't really the case. It oh, might happen. That makes sense. It might happen in a very short time afterwards, but it doesn't keep happening. So the next person we're going to talk about is Arnold Paoli. This is the early 18th century, and he's also in Serbia. Now, Arnold died after he fell from a wagon, he broke his neck. He was also accused of being a vampire, and after a series of deaths in his village, he was exhumed, but so was many of the victims that they had assumed he had a, you know, attacked somehow from beyond the grave. At the time, the region was under control of the Austrian military, so they were the ones who actually did the investigation on the death. Their results were well publicized. Paley's cases uh, credited with being the very first vampire superstition to hit Western Europe. Oh, wow. And it's mainly, like I said, because yeah. it got publicized mm -hmm. over there and, and printed in papers and stuff like that. So those were a couple in Europe, kind of where all this started taking place. But you can see we're already in the 1700s, back when most of this took place. And there's 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 been people through uh, archaeological digs that over the past 10 years or so, they found people that even from the 14, 1500s, that they think were thought to be vampires just because oh, wow. once they dug it up and seen how they were buried and what went on, it fit. That's cool. Everything. So the next stop, the United States. 200 years after the Salem witch trials, New England was, I guess, getting ready to follow in the footsteps and make the same mistakes as some of their ancestors in the past. The 1800s were a horrible time in the U.S. for TB. And tuberculosis was a, a very painful disease that drained the life right out of people. They just wasted away sometimes, and it would take years in some cases. Other times, it would happen relatively quickly, depending depend on the type of the disease that you had. Yeah, I was wondering how long you can last with that. Some of the symptoms were fatigue, night sweats, and coughing up phlegm or even foamy blood. Now, because the bodies were wasting away... Most knew this disease by its more popular name at the time, consumption. Mm. Just like in Europe, vampire scares usually began when a contagious disease, usually tuberculosis in this case, started claiming victims in New England in the 1800s. Now, I mentioned that New Englanders were getting ready to make a similar mistake as their ancestors did, because obviously 200 years before, they started 
making you know accusations that so many people were witches and so mm-hmm. many people were executed for being a witch and now basically 200 years later they're getting ready to start looking for another type of monster not that witches were monsters but well know no I, I know but they're looking now to start making accusations of um other types of creatures in this case vampires yeah now luckily in this case you know they're already going to be dead so it's not like they're you know really going to be Sending somebody to death like they did with the witch situation. So keep in mind that during this time, people were still pretty ignorant about germs and bacteria. So they deducted that people came back from the dead to drain a family member's blood. And that's why so many family members were afflicted with these diseases. So the cure was to exhume the body. And then a couple of different options. You could drive a stake through the heart. You could burn either the whole body or parts of the body, or behead Oh, my the goodness. Body. It all sounds not good. It kind of varied by the region. Now, supposedly doing these things would protect the family from suffering from uh, any other future harm. Most vampire hunters were not disappointed when they opened a grave. Many of what we know today as natural signs of decay, such as bloating or bleeding from various orifices, looked like evidence to them that uh, this creature or person had been out feasting on relatives' bodies. Oh, wow, that's so disturbing. In the 1800s, New England would experience what would become known as the New England Vampire Panic. So we'll briefly tell you about a few of those before we get into a few of the bigger ones and the more, more popular ones. In 1810, Anne Danette died of consumption in New Hampshire. She was 21 years old. Now, it was suspected that she was a vampire, so her body was exhumed. In September of that year, a traveling Free Will Baptist minister from Vermont by the name of Enoch Hayes Place was there to witness the exhumation. Her family had ordered the exhumation in an attempt to save her father, who now was sick with consumption. Mm -hmm. So Enoch Hayes Place wrote, in his diary that he had. They opened the grave, and it was a solemn sight indeed. A young brother by the name of Adams examined the moldy specter, but found nothing as they supposed that they should. There was but a little left except for bones. Our next one is in 1817, Frederick Ransom. He was exhumed. Now, Frederick came from a well-respected family in South Woodstick. Woodstick. (laughs) Can't read my own writing sometimes. South Woodstock. (laughs) Vermont. (laughs) He was a Dartmouth College student at the time of his death, and he had also died from consumption. His was an example, though, of a well-educated family who got caught up in this vampire panic. Usually these cases were reserved for, like, misinformed farmers and less educated uh, people in the area at the time. Frederick's father had the body exhumed in the hopes of saving the rest of the family. They cut his heart out and burned it in a blacksmith's forge. Big shock, this didn't work. Mm -hmm. Frederick's mom, sister, and two brothers died from consumption. Now, Freddie's lone surviving brother, Daniel, later wrote, It's been related to me that there was a tendency in our family to consumption, and that I would die by the time I was 30. Daniel was more than 80 years old when he wrote that quote. So he made it. Now, during this time, it may be surprising to some that there was no racial bias when it came to vampire panic. A black man named Bristol Congdon died from consumption in the late 1800s in Rhode Island. Now, unfortunately, several of his children suffered the same fate. So the body of one of his children was dug up and all of his vital parts were burned in obedience to the superstition. Now, it's not 100% clear whether Congdon was African-American or Native American, but this was the first case to suggest a vampire panic crossed racial lines. Our next story is one of the little more famous ones, and it started in 1845 in Jewett City, Connecticut. Now, this case involved the Ray family, who are better known as the Jewett City Vampires. Over the course of nine years, several members of the Ray family passed away from consumption. The first was Lemuel in 1845. He was only 24 years old. Four years later, his dad Henry Ray passed. 
Less than two years after that, Henry Ray's older son, 26-year-old Elisha, died. So now three years later, in 1854, the oldest son, Henry, had the same symptoms. And he knew what this was because it had already plagued the rest yeah. of the family, obviously. Once he came down with the illness, this is when the vampire panic set in for his family. The rest of the family came to the conclusion that there was some kind of supernatural thing going on here. So this had to be the result of a dead member rising from the grave somehow, some way, and feasting on his blood. Oh, my god! Can you imagine no. that even starting to make sense to you? No. A newspaper account at the time that this happened documented that the bodies of Lemuel and Elisha was dug up and burned immediately. So it appeared that Joseph was left alone, which was the other brother who had, who had died. The family felt this is going to be probably the only story that we've told based on this to where it felt like a success. Because there's no record of Henry Jr.'s death, so he obviously survived this illness. So what's funny with this case, though, is that there's evidence discovered in 1990s that showed that there were some suspected vampires 50 years earlier in the next town over of Hopeville. 29 graves were accidentally unearthed in an unmarked cemetery of the Walton family. Now, this family only lived two miles from the Ray's farm. An archaeologist examined the bodies, and he determined that one of the bodies had died of consumption. Now, that's not unusual. But the body apparently had been dug up, the head removed, and what was left of the skeleton was placed face down with the femur bone across the chests. So like they had his legs crossed and then his, his rest of his body on top of it, I guess, to make sure that he couldn't run away or oh. get up and do anything. Because, you know, because if you can come back from the dead. Oh, dude, that's who Who knows? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you can come back from the dead and go do that, having your legs crossed in front of you is not going to help. Probably not. Logic, Am I confusing for a minute? And I'm trying to figure out how they knew it was face down if the head had been cut off. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, several other graves with the Walton uh, family members had also died of consumption as they were digging it through. Okay, so but so far, we only have one person that has actually made it. Yeah. Okay. So the speculation is that somebody probably remembered the story of the Waltons from 50 years earlier, and then they used this method to try to cure the rays when they got sick, mm-hmm. which wouldn't be out of reach. If you're, yeah. if you like, Hey, I remember 50 years ago, we had this same problem. And this is what they did. Right. So, well, there you go. The last story that we're going to talk about of this vampire in new England panic is the story of mercy Brown. Now this occurred in Exeter, Rhode Island started in 1883. And this is without a doubt, the most famous of the vampire panic stories. Oh, one of the reasons that it's so famous is because she was the last. So uh-huh. let's put an end to it for several reasons. So the story began with the death of Mercy's mother, who was Mary Eliza Brown. This happened in 1883. Like most of the other uh, culprits, uh, the stories we've told, it was from consumption. So within a year, Mary's daughter, 20-year-old Mary Olive, was dead from the same illness. Her obituary said that she was ready for the afterlife because she had suffered so much. Aww. They actually put that in the Oh, obituary. bless her heart. Edwin Brown was the next to contact us. Now, Edwin had been very strong, healthy before that. This was uh, Mary's son, son and the other Mary's mm-hmm. brother. He was really healthy before this, so it kind of you know just hit him all at once. So everybody was kind of surprised, like, in their head, I guess, because you were already healthy and mm-hmm. big strapping young lad, so to speak, mm-hmm. there was no way he could come down with this illness. And that just was ignorance of the illness is all it was. Because yeah. anybody could have gotten Of it. course. Like I said, he was this big husky guy. So so once he started kind of withering away, he had heard that there was a facility out in Colorado Springs that was having some kind of success anyway with TB patients. So he left and went there. Now, this had worked fairly well for Edwin, but keep in mind, as we said, sometimes this thing can take years to um, actually kill somebody. Yeah. So he stayed out there for nearly 10 years, but it was starting to get a little bit worse. I was just going to say, I wonder how it picks and chooses how it's going to 
whether you go fast or slow. I'd imagine. I'd imagine if you're super healthy like this guy, like that guy, that's probably plus he went out there to Colorado where it was cleaner air, different atmosphere, yeah, uh, all that stuff. And a lot of people, that's where a lot of people were doing. Like like when they built Waverly, it was built up on a hill Uh just for that being higher up. About yeah, uh, of course Colorado's got a higher elevation to begin with, cleaner air, so all that was taken in consideration. So he comes back home after 10 years because it was getting worse and i guess he figured i want to be home yeah Yeah. when he arrived he found that his sister mercy who's now 19 years old was near death with consumption so mercy had been battling a, a little bit different kind of tuberculosis it was known as galloping consumption and this is because it was more of a silent type and once it started showing symptoms, death happened pretty soon afterwards. So this was one of once you knew you had it, mm-hmm. it wasn't long. Aww. So it didn't take a long time. Now, it's your body probably had it for a long time. And it yeah. just didn't show the symptoms, so you didn't know. Family doctor at the time, Dr. Harold Metcalf, told George Brown that nothing could be done for his daughter at this point. So in January 1892, Mercy died. Her obituary said... Miss Lena Brown, that was her middle name, Mercy mm-hmm. Lena Brown. Miss Lena Brown has been suffering from consumption, died Sunday morning. That's all her obituary said. Man. So now because so many people in the family had died and Edwin was rapidly going downhill, the residents of Exeter started suggesting to George Brown that his family was cursed. So they took it a step further. They went to him and said that they believed that one of the Brown women who had already passed on was responsible for this. So they told George that he needed to exhume the bodies and take a look. Well, George didn't like that at all. This was mm-hmm. his family. He couldn't stand the thought yeah. of his family being dug up all right, and all that going on. And then the doctor, he was also trying to reason with him, telling him that, you know, this was preposterous. The whole idea was just stupid. Mm-hmm. There's no way that could happen because, you know, he's a doctor. He's yeah. thinking logical. And, well, of course. Yeah. So Edwin kept getting worse. The townspeople again came to George and they said, look, the only way that Edwin's going to get better is if we find a guilty party and destroy the body. Dr. Metcalf again voiced his opinion, but George gave permission to four people that he trusted to exhume the bodies. George said he didn't want to be any part of it, though. He wasn't going to be there. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to do that. So the doctor thought it was ludicrous and he decided to go down there just to make sure Try to talk some sense into him. He gets down there a little bit late. Now, this was March 17th of 1892. Now, keep in mind, she passed away in January in New England. Mm-hmm. Now, it's two months later. Mary Eliza had been dead for almost 10 years, and Mary Olive right afterwards for nine years. Pretty much all that was left of them were bones, mm-hmm. as you would imagine. Mercy, though, had only been dead for a few months, and it was during a very harsh New England winter. She hadn't even been buried for the entire two months because part of the time the the ground was too hard. hard, Mm -hmm. So they put her like in a little uh, crypt that was in the back of the the cemetery. It was basically it was um, dug out into like the side of the hill and with a door put on. Oh, wow. It would effectively work just like a freezer this time of year. But that's where they put her until the ground thawed. So they put her, you know, they, they undig the body. And when they did, it was in remarkable shape, which shouldn't have come to any surprise to anybody since the body had basically been frozen for the last two months. But instead, these four people saw this and they stepped back all aghast, all in terror, like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. she's, she's not even started to decompose. And it looked like her nails and her hair had grown. We discussed that earlier. Then one of them kind of poked her with a shovel, and it appeared that the body was filled with fresh blood. The doctor tried to explain to him that this was normal, considering the circumstances. But these four people weren't about to hear any of that noise. Her heart and liver were removed, and they took it to a nearby rock, and they burned it. The plan was to take the ashes from the burned organs and mix them with Edwin's medicine for him to drink. Ew. Nasty. And this was kind of common back then. That's It was somehow eat it or drink it. No. This was supposed to reverse the symptoms of the vampire attack. This, as you probably guessed, did not work, and Edwin died two months later. Oh, jeez. 
The remainder of Mercy's body was buried in Exeter Baptist Church Cemetery. Mercy was the last American vampire, mainly because Dr. Robert Cook discovered that the bacteria that was causing TB in 1882 could actually be controlled. And keep in mind, though, this was years later. So they'd known that, but they still didn't have a cure for it. Mm -hmm. Now, people had learned more about hygiene during this time and nutrition, uh, and the infection rate just started to drop and go down from there. Just as you learn more about something and less ignorant on the fact, yeah, you know, you can fix the problems. Now, as far as Mercy, we said that she was the most famous. Now, this is partly because H.P. Lovecraft used her as an inspiration for his book, The Shunned House. In 1896, New York World newspaper clipping into the possession of a London stage manager and aspiring novelist by the name of Bram Stoker. His theater company was touring the U.S. at the time. His masterpiece, Dracula, was published the following year, and Mercy was supposedly the inspiration for Lucy in the book. Now, when Bram Stoker died, newspaper accounts of Mercy Brown were found in his files. Mm. So there's a really good reason to believe that that story is probably true. So question, when is a vampire not a vampire? Oh. Hmm. I guess when he don't really bite you on the neck. It's a trick question. I thought it would be. It's when she is Nellie Vaughn. No. Oh. Nellie, like Mercy, was 19 years old when she died and was buried in 1889 in West Greenwich, Rhode Island. Nellie Vaughn is almost as famous as Mercy Brown. Her cemetery has been frequently visited and vandalized. Her headstone has been broken. Problem is that Nellie was never accused of being a vampire or exhumed. You see, Nellie is a case of mistaken identity. This has happened in the last 50 years primarily as people have somehow got her confused with the grave of Mercy Brown who died nearby and roughly at the same time period uh, and they were both 19 years old. Oh, that poor girl. So this may be because of her creepy epitaph on her tombstone that says, I'm waiting and watching for you. But see, that may not really be creepy. It sounds creepy when you say it like it, but maybe she's just saying like she's looking over her, uh, the people she left behind. Yeah. You know? It doesn't have to be creepy, but I guess when you're reading it, that's what it's going to be. The funny thing is that no vegetation will grow over top of her grave, no matter how many attempts they make to plant something there. Some people say it's because of the amount of visitors, just that yeah. she gets on a daily basis that all the tramping on there, nothing's going to work. That but, is, that's really sad for her. It is a lot of damage. Yeah, of, uh, and like I, I feel like she can't even rest in peace because people keep doing that stuff, and it's not even her fault. Yeah. I'm sure she's still resting though. I hope so. I mean, she's got six feet under, so well, I know, but most, that's not most the of point. That stuff happens on top. She's probably not even aware of it. She might be. Her spirit may be around, and she sees all this. This is that's heartbreaking. No, it is. So that's the story of vampires. Would you have had any idea no, about all that? No, not at all. So I thought it was a little interesting to do something no, a little bit different. No, that is very interesting. It's so sad that all those people died of TB. That's really just, t that's terrible. All right. So we went to a fun concert last night. We did. And so we get to our hotel room. <sighs> this is probably the worst hotel experience. And I've stayed in a ton of hotels. Maybe the worst experience I've ever had. But you've stayed in that hotel several I've times. I've stayed in that hotel several times, six or seven times. and never had an issue. So we get there, we check in beforehand, and we notice when we get back, you know, we go to the concert and come back, we didn't really check anything out. Yeah. We come back from the concert. Now, let's, let me backtrack. So when we check in, and, and I hate this, I think this is so stupid, we paid prepaid online with a debit card, and they want you to give a deposit for um, in case something you know, you damage something or you smoke in a room because it's a non-smoking room. It's a $200 policy if you break the, the, the no smoking deal. And the guy made it perfectly clear. Oh, there's no smoking in the room and there's no this and that. And I'm like, okay, we got that. We don't smoke. Not an issue. But keep in mind, as we walk back to our room, the whole place reeked a pot. <laughs> yeah. So we weren't really cracking down on that too much. Not too much. No. And But here's my problem with that. We paid online. It was no problem. The room is paid for, but they wouldn't take a debit card. For to hold, mm -hmm. which most places do, mm -hmm. 
it either had to be a regular credit card or if you used your debit card, they were putting a hundred dollar hold on it, and they said it could be up to ten days before they released it as long as there was no damages in the yeah, room. Yeah, that's ridiculous. that's BS. Well, yeah. I mean, I gave them a credit card, but it's not the point. The point is the room was paid for. And they're going to put a $100 hold just to make sure that you didn't steal a towel or do some damage. Ridiculous. Anyway, so we go to the concert. We come back. We're thirsty. We go to the Coke machine. It's out of order. Then we go get, they got a bottled water that they're selling me for a dollar just so I could get Tracy something to drink. And it was hot. Wouldn't, wouldn't cold. It was just pulled it out of a bag. So we get that bag. We try to go to bed. It's 1130, 12 when we get back to the hotel. We lay down, and I'm telling you, it literally was like a herd of elephants upstairs. It sounded like, and I'm not exaggerating, imagine if you had maybe a kid that was five years old, and they would jump off the bed and land on the floor. That loud of a thump. That happened, I bet, and I'm not exaggerating, in a minute's time, probably six, seven, eight times. Mm -hmm. In a minute's time. And then... You would hear heavy footsteps. Now, I've slept on the first floor of this hotel before. It's not that bad as far as being able to hear the sounds and stuff happening upstairs. And we're look, we know there's going to be some noises and stuff. We're not expecting to be quiet. But it was like, we literally thought they must have had two or three kids up there just running around that weren't tired. Maybe they've been all amped up on candy or something. So we eventually kind of fell asleep watching TV. We just turned TV up. And we didn't call and complain or anything. Then we got woke up, I don't know how many times throughout the night. Now, they were doing construction on this hotel. So we eventually figured out maybe they're doing some kind of construction going on up there. And we tossed, we turned all night long. We get up and finally at six o'clock in the morning, we've had enough. And, you know, we're thinking eventually it's just going to stop and you doze back off. So we call down there and complain. And the, uh, the young lady at the front desk, she says, well, I mean, why didn't you call me last night? And I'm like, I get that. But finally, we just finally got fed up with it. We didn't need you coming in at 2 o'clock in the morning and moving us to a different room or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. We're we're tired. We don't want to move. You know, we stayed here just so we wouldn't have to drive home and we're not getting any sleep. It defeated the purpose. Not once did they offer to make any kind of concession. She just basically kept telling us we were wrong for not calling earlier. Not that any of this could have been their fault from the smoking, uh, the smoke all in the hallways or any of that stuff. And it's just like, Jesus. So then... She says, well, let me go see if I can hear it. And she finds the room and she talks to him and she calls me back. Hey, I talked to uh, the people in the room and uh, they apologize. And I'm like, well, what the hell were they doing up there? Because this didn't sound like normal stuff that you would hear at a hotel. And I wish you could have heard her. She, you could tell there was a sense of embarrassment. And she was like, well, it was, um, it was a couple. (laughs) And, um, well, I mean, um, and she just kept, I'm like, look, okay, I get it. <laughs> I'm like, I, I get it. I said, but damn, all night long. <laughs> Shoot, I don't know where, they must have been amped up on something. So, but anyways, it stopped after that. So whatever, you know, whatever she said to him worked. And we were able to end up getting a couple hours sleep and get, got out a little bit later. But, you know, I told Tracy, it's like, you know, at that point, I'm I'm not even mad. I'm more impressed. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. So, but anyway, what an experience. Yeah, that was crazy. At a hotel, so. Yeah. Okay, great. So, anyways. Well, we could tell who it is, right? Huh? I'm not going to tell who it is. All right. You know. Well, I'll tell the initials. The initials were Red Roof Inn in Middletown, Ohio. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Tracy, would you like to be so kind as to tell about our iTunes reviews and Shall our Patreons? Sure. Sure. All right. We had a lot of great reviews this week. Thank you, guys. Um, Mackie 99, Scarabones, Missing Her Nana, Kevin Red. He gave us two reviews. One said that he hasn't listened to us and he was going to listen to us and get back. So he did listen to us and he gave us, uh, gave us a try and he liked us. So thank you, Kev. Shamrock Gal 73. Sunset one two nine eight five six two, Brandon Gamble, Aubrey Fay, Sophia Velasquez. Oh, I didn't say that right. Velasquez. 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 Sorry, honey. Beautiful name though. 
Lucky and Sincere in Caledelphia, Liddy. And we're going to give a shout out to Super Amanda in 1986. You guys really left us some really awesome reviews, and we appreciate that so much. They help more than you know, especially on these horrible days that we've been yeah. having lately. Golly. Um, our Patreons are Damon Miles, Karen Burroughs, Natasha Pearson, Shane Ruth, Rhea Yan, and Tabitha Thompson. Thank you guys so much for your support. Couldn't do it without you all. And thanks to all of you who reach out to us through email and stuff like yes, that. Yes, thank you guys that, that so don't much. Make it into, Absolutely. Uh, these little lists, but there's so many of them. So, now, no, I ain't done. No, she's not done. I just want to say. You're going to start crying again, aren't you? Cause you're no, already, I'm not. But, I, I just love you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you guys so much. And you really help us get through times too like this. And I just want y'all to know that we love you and appreciate you so much. That's it. You can go ahead. Well, it kind of sucks now because I was going to go in and talk about the, the live show. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I try to keep it under control this whole show. So we've got the Lexington birthday bash coming up. It's three weeks away. Tony Bruschi coming. You heard the commercial at the beginning of the show. And, uh, man, it's going to be a blast. We're going to go, got a couple few special surprises that you guys that will only see if you're there. And just saying, go ahead and snag your tickets because as it gets, starts getting closer, people are going to start snagging them left and right and we're going to run out. This being a birthday party, we got a lot of friends and family coming. So it's going to, I would say probably, probably right now it'll probably show more if you look at it at the number of tickets sold. But there's a bunch of tickets that haven't been accounted for on there. There's probably only about 15, 16 tickets left, reality-wise, after we give away the free ones for family and stuff like that. So go ahead and snag those. Newly added in just last couple of weeks, CryptidCon, which is uh, September 7th and 8th. That's a Saturday and Sunday in Lexington, Kentucky. We'll be there. Nick Groff's going to be there. Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us. The guys from Mountain Monsters. A bunch of people from uh, all the areas of cryptids that you love are all going to be there. It's just go, matter of fact, go to cryptidcon.com and check out everybody who's going to be there. I think you'll be impressed. Uh, don't forget New York and Philadelphia shows in October and the Point Pleasant show coming up in October as well. So we're going to be hitting it hard in October. That's what she said. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, we love you guys. We appreciate everything you do for us. And before we get out, uh, we have an Amanda's take at the end of the night. We have made a few adjustments to make it. I'm not going to say it's clean because it's not, but it's not as um, filthy and disgusting and make you want to take a bath in holy water as it had been. Uh, there is no more use of certain words. You could probably figure out what the, that word is, but it starts with a C and ends in uh, uh, I can't say that. So that word has been banished, but I think you're going to enjoy this. If you listened before and thought it was a little too over the top, maybe give another listen, but if it's not for you, this is going to be put right at the end. There's nothing to skip. There's nothing past it. There's nothing, you know, so if you, if you don't want to hear it, just end the show now and you're not going to miss anything. So love you guys. So thank you so much. Hey guys, we're back for the fourth installment of Amanda's take and Amanda, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Now the story we have tonight is <laughs> definitely the first time I've ever heard of this type of a ghost story. And it says, Spank the monkey, the ghost of a masturbating ape haunts the hallways of a grand country estate in Dorset. This is obviously over in, in Great Britain. It says, Haunted Athelhampton's Hall is a popular wedding venue with a romantic spook hunters. Now, here's the story. The ghost of a randy monkey haunts the halls of the Grand English Country Estate, where romantic spook hunters flock to tie the knot. Titillated tourists can often hear the saucy specter laughing while masturbating in Athelhampton Hall in Dorset, near Dorchester. And the spooky venue even has soul-searching couples clamoring to have their weddings held there, in the hope of having the pervy primate appear in the background of their pictures. The lovable apes' afterlife antics have helped the hall to be named as one of the most haunted houses in England after being listed on We Buy Any Homes list of the nine most ghostly properties. The 15th century house was originally built by the Martin family, whose crest featured an excited monkey 
sitting on a tree stump. The estate's motto was, he who looks at Martin's ape, Martin's ape will look at him. And, and ever since the horny ghost of the Martin's monkey was haunted the Sprawling's country pile, making it a go-to destination for curious phantom fanatics. One tourist, dad of three, John Morrison, 41 from Darby, who took his entire family to the estate, spoke excitedly about the spanking spook. He said, we'd heard that Martin the monkey who haunts the house loves to scratch his privates while swinging around. We didn't see him, which is a shame, because it would have been a real sight. Apparently, he's not terrifying. Quite friendly is what we heard. Now, according to the local legend, the unconventional Martin family did have a pet ape, which was free to wander the halls. And when one of the Martin daughters had an unhappy love affair and decided to kill herself, the compassionate monkey began following her around. When he climbed a set of hidden stairs to a secret room, the ape trailed behind and watched as he took. she took her own life with the door bolted. By the time the family searched of the house and the grounds eventually located the room, the ape had starved to death next to her body. Now its ghost haunts the hall, often scratching at the paneling of the secret room and staircase in an external frantic attempt to escape. But the monkey is not alone. The house is also reputed to have six other ghosts, all human. Athelhampton has long been known as a haunted spot and featured on TV's Most Haunted in 2002. There has been a structure on the site since Saxon times. Andrea Cook, who has lived at this house with her family for more than 20 years, said that she has witnessed all sorts of odds and inexplicable things. But while most people have a rational explanation, she said there is always some which do not. The most recent was a dark hooded figure which rushed past one of our cleaners. On the first sighting, she assumed that she had imagined it, but 10 minutes later, it came towards her again, up the old servant's staircase and hurried past her into the bathroom. She was terribly excited about it, having never witnessed such a thing. What this was makes no sense at all. It's a figure our youngest son has seen on a couple of occasions, but the cleaner was unaware of this and the time. Despite all this, it's an amazing place to live. It's a beautiful home. We are happy, and generally, it's a lovely atmosphere in spite of the stories. But on the odd occasion, when something does occur, and I must stress, it is only occasionally, it reminds you that there are some things out there that are beyond our understanding. A spokesperson from We Buy Any Home said, whether you believe in ghosts or not, it's understandable or undeniable that some places, for whatever reason, just give us the creeps. Whether it's the old-fashioned decor, the eerie silence that hangs over the property, or the footsteps in the landing of the dead of the night, some properties give you the feeling that they may not be occupied by something or someone else. Andrea said that when her son was younger, their friends refused to sleep over at the house because of the doors being agitated, figures at the end of your bed, figures stood in doorways, and the sound of rapid footsteps backwards and forwards in the bedroom. So Amanda, what is your take on that story? Um, it's hilarious, but also, so the ape was found next to her dead body. It starved to death, correct? Yes. So how do we know it wasn't whacking its jiggly stick over the dead body? We don't know that. That's also gross, but can you imagine? Yeah, we You're don't. lying in bed and you just hear this noise, like this weird noise, like thump noise. It's the friggin' ape getting weird next to your bed, getting super weird, making all these noises with this weird ween. And also hanging from the chandeliers. Like, could you imagine? I Did you imagine walking into, just walking, like, all right, you walk in there and there's some ghost ape swinging, just swinging <laughs> around, hopping everywhere. I don't, I, like, I feel like it might not be real. I mean, it might be, but I feel like that part might not be real. But also people have weddings there, correct? Correct. Do they do they put a disclaimer on there? Like, oh, you might find a masturbating monkey in the closet rack. Like, how do you, how do you even, what do you do? What if your wedding is ruined because there's a, an ape figure in your wedding photos? But according to them, a lot of the people that stay here want to see that in their wedding photos. I mean, they want to see the masturbating animal. Well, it would be a one of a kind. Oh, oh, oh that's weird. That's really weird. Well, where is it? England. Oh God. So I have a couple questions for you. Okay. Do you think that you guys could go and visit it, and maybe potentially catch a masturbating ape? Also, with Zach Baggins there. And secondly, <laughs> what if I went there? I want Zach Baggins to go there. I want him to catch a masturbating ape. I want to catch a masturbating ape. I'm having a hard time with the dead body, too. I'm just, like, imagining this poor 
woman who just couldn't handle life anymore. And she kills herself. And here's this ape that's in love with her. It's what it sounds like. Cause I'm like a hundred percent sure monkeys like can catch feelings. You heard about the dolphin. Did you hear about the dolphin project? Yes. Back in the seventies with the guy and the girl and the girl was whacking off the dolphin. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. Did you ever, did you ever hear about that? I, they, did, like, gave I, this- I did hear about that. Yeah. The poor dolphin was on acid and it was getting weird. And it was like, Oh, come here, pretty human. Let me get up in that. And he was trying, and this woman was gonna was gonna get weird with it. And I don't know if she did or not. I kind of like zoned out after because I'm like, oh no. And could you imagine if that's how it's so gross? I'm having that so that, gross to that, think about. That's how mermaids are created. About, what by a fish jacking off on a, on a human? Well, or just a dolphin and a woman. I could see that happening. Oh, you just ruined a little mermaid for me. All right. Yep. So they're just getting weird and they're under the sea in a hotel room and a giant. Uh, there's so much wrong with that story. So I, I read it. I did read it and I was killing myself laughing because I was making all kinds of inappropriate jokes. I, I can't even tell you on the can't even tell you on the air. But my coworker was like, hey, could you imagine if just like as a joke, someone dressed up as a monkey and like was just hanging out, <laughs> hanging out in closets, whacking his jiggly stick everywhere. And, uh, and then I thought about it. And could you imagine like just as like a funny joke? Someone in a wedding party dresses up in like a Bigfoot slash ape <laughs> costume is in the closet, and you just hear the the weirdest sounds. You open it, and it's him with his mask like half on, half off. He's getting into it. The jacket he's using now to wipe it all up with. That could go south really quick. But you I know. Think it's, Nobody ever sees what? Bigfoot doing that. Oh my God! You're in the woods, and it's like, and you're like, "What the hell is that?" And it's Bigfoot, and he's just having at it in the corner <laughs> of the forest, and he's, and he's going after it, and you, and you get a good picture of it, but it, no one believes you. They think it's someone in an ape suit, but it's really Bigfoot whacking his ween. Oh, <laughs> he might have oh, to change man. his name to a Sasquirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Oh, look at this. Oh, my God. You should make a t shirt like Tell Billy Horror Stories, and then, like, in the corner of the little sweatshirt, just have like a Bigfoot, like, with his with his finger over his mouth, winking his eye. Or they would, they, 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 they would have to change, they would have huh? to change the beef jerky to Jack Off Links. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. I'm telling you, there are so many. So, so am I, can I tell the story I told you about my co worker? Yes. Okay. So this is all related to essentially jacking off, I guess. But the other the other day, someone says, "Hey, will you read my fan fiction?" And I'm like, "Okay, sure." Like, I don't have 900 other things to do. Put this on the pile of stuff on my break. I'll read it. So I read it to only realize it's porn. I am reading someone's fan fiction porn, and I'm like 99% sure that they were the main character. So not only was I on break making that gag noise I made because I was eating lunch, you know, reading this story, I now have, every time I see this person, my image goes to like, it's my brain is a mess from it. I need therapy because every time I see her, I'm like, oh my God. Oh man, you're like 50 shades of gray on crack. (laughs) And I only got halfway through it i couldn't even finish it i don't get embarrassed like i mean you know me you've seen me three or four times now my mouth is atrocious i don't get offended i'm like yeah whatever porn blah 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 oh no i was probably 900 different shades of red i had to go to target and spend a lot of money to get my stuff to get to have some therapy because i was so i was mortified i was i've never been so grossed out in my whole life and you know what i won't go into detail as to why it was probably disgusting but <laughs> it was then the person that and all i can now i can think about her writing fan fiction about the monkey in the haunted mansion <laughs> whacking his jiggly stick over a sleeping married couple while their photographers in the corner of the room videotaping it just so they can get a haha look at we caught the masturbating ape and maybe if we die he'll masturbate over our <laughs> corpses because that is the vision that's in my head and that's where i'm at with that i don't know about you what's your take on it um i don't know what to expect uh, I can't imagine. I don't know why somebody would see the ghost of an of a of an ape and it would be masturbating. I could see. I mean, maybe it just looks like it is. Maybe it's scratching because it's got I don't know 
crabs or something like that, and it just makes it. not crabs. They would get fleas. Fleas. Well, either way, they're basically the same creatures. So, but I could see how maybe it's just itching and people think that that it's maybe doing that. Masturbating? I mean, this is, come on. When you itch, when you itch your bread basket, you're not making the motion of stroking your bread basket. You are, in fact, itching your gumballs. You're not. That's true, but it. that's true. But if this is a true ghost, it's probably blurry. It's a little bit hard to see, and it might be hard to make out the, the exact motion that it's doing. And first of all, wouldn't you be terrified? Wouldn't you be so terrified that there is an, a ghost ape? Number one, have you ever seen an ape in real life at the zoo? I have. It terrifies me. It threw <laughs> shit at me once. I mean, poop at me once. It threw poop at me once. <laughs> at a glass and, and the glass, and I was like, "Why are you throwing poop at me?" It was it just that's how they are, and they're and they're scary. I wouldn't want to see. I mean, like I've seen some things, but like the one thing I wouldn't want to run into is a lion ghost, an ape ghost, and a gorilla ghost. Well, I think nope. a, a ghost and a gorilla ghost are kind of the same. Well, no, because a gorilla is a what if an ape, apes could be anything, Jerry, an ape could be a tiny little guy. They just call him an ape. We mean, we're apes at the end of the day, right? I don't think that's exactly how that works. I mean, it might be. Also, by the way, Google human tails. I worked with someone that had a tail and had to get it amputated. True story. <laughs> of course also, you did. Also, Google human horns. I Googled that too. Oh my God. It's real and it's terrifying. Human what? I was, huh? Human what? A human horn. There's a horn that grows out of their heads. <laughs> oh, okay. A oh. horn. Okay, I got you. Oh, whoa, whoa. Did you not pick up on that? No, not, not for the first seven times. But then it clicked to me what it was. A horn. It's a horn, Jerry. <laughs> um, <laughs> come here. Let, let me. You want to look at my horn? Apparently, it's a gross. And it. I know, you don't really see it here. Like in America, it's like overseas. And I think that's like. I'm not sure what, where it comes out of, but if you want to, you want your mind blown, Google human horns. I had my boss do it and he was like, whoa. I'm like, right, right. You'd be amazed. And human tails. I worked with someone who said they had to get their tail amputated. They were born with it, which, and I asked to see her scar, but she was like, no, you can't see my scar. I'm like, why? She's like, cause then I'd have to show you some of my butt. And she's an old person. I'm like, it's an old wrinkly butt. It's fine. Let me look at it. She didn't show me. And I didn't get in trouble for sexual harassment. I mean, she started it. But anyway, I, I I know someone that had a tail. I am so cool. Now, you know someone that knows someone that knows a tail. That makes you cool, too. Oh, well, that's what I was hoping for. I'll make sure that I put that on my resume. Now, that- <laughs> now I saw I saw on Dr. Pimple Popper a woman that had a horn the other night growing out of her head. Stop it. You did? Yep. It was she removed it, but it was basically like she said, like you said, it was a growth and it was coming straight out of the top. Oh, my God. It, and they can turn cancerous, I guess. Like, it's yeah, really that's, not that's that's what funny, she was afraid but- of, that it was cancerous. It was cancerous? No, that's what she was afraid of, though, that it would be cancerous. Yeah. That's what she was saying before she even removed it. Could you imagine that? Like, one day you wake up and you think it's a zit, and then a week later it's not a zit? You think maybe you spawned from hell? But you didn't. <laughs> you just might have cancer. That's the worst. I would just think maybe I'm a unicorn. No, see, I would think the opposite. I would say I would be like, oh, my God, it's true. I literally <laughs> came from the pits of hell. I know it because I do you know that I can't get in cold water. It takes my breath away. I'm convinced something's wrong with me. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Like if you put me in cold water, I like I can't breathe. Like I, I can't catch my breath. Weirdest thing. I've been convinced something's wrong with you for months now, but it had nothing to do with cold water. You know what? One of these days you're going to you're going to meet me in person and you're going to be like, this chick is cool. <laughs> Well, let's- you are. You're going to be like, this chick is cool. Let's talk about weird stuff together. And you know what? Side note, the other day, so I work with this lady. She's super into God. She tells me she talks to God all the time. I get a little weird with religion. Like, I don't know how to handle it. So I get super awkward. I get so awkward. I, I say the weirdest shit. So I'm like, oh, do you know that I like it super hot? And she was like, do you know what Jesus said? And she, t- and she tells me, she's like, oh, there's no such thing as a lukewarm person. You're either hot or you're not. And I was thinking, I'm saved. But anyway, this poor lady's got a lot of trauma going on in her life. And to fix her crown a little bit, I felt really bad for her. And I was telling her jokes at work. And she's wicked. She can be kind of mean to everybody else. She's super cool with me. And you know why that is? Because one, I give her food. And two, we talk about UFOs. We talk about Area 51. We talk about chemtrails. We talk about all of it. All of it. And you know what? 
I got in trouble the other day because I talked too much to her about it. I was told I can't talk to her anymore about weird stuff because then she goes in my boss's office and goes, see, Amanda believes me. So that's that. I don't see, I don't see what, I mean, some people just need an extra hug. You know what I mean? Well, let's end on that hug tonight. Thank you for coming on this week. Oh, Jerry. I love love talking to you. You're my fave. (laughs) I'm just glad you didn't use the C word tonight. Oh, no, no. That's done. I put that that away. That's locked up for when I'm with my friend Big Mama. (laughs) I showed you a picture of Big Mama, so she is real. She's not imaginary. Well, I didn't think she was. Most, you know, when people, and you know, she's only, she's way younger than me. She's like 21 years old. But um, anyway, she's cool. She's cool stuff. I want to get her on the show, but she's shy. She's like, I can't do that. But I'm going to, I'm going to get her on. Do you remember like 30 seconds ago when I said, let's go ahead and end this? Oh, wait, sorry. I'm sorry. I thought we did end it. <laughs> yeah, You have to really tell me like, this is it. Like <laughs> I can't be any more specific. No, so you really need to emphasize I, that, like, I said, this is I think I said, done. I think I specifically said bye. Oh, and, maybe I didn't hear you. I don't know. It's yeah. kind of it's a little you, loud here tonight. All right, let's try this again. Thank you for coming on, Amanda. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>